Hey, Luke, can you pass over those crab legs? Oh, yeah, sure. No problem. Here you go. All right. These are on the house, right? Hello, everyone, and welcome to this uh, crab-free edition of the Yes Men. I am Lou DiPietro. To my left, as always, is Doug Williams. Uh, and obviously, if you're up on the sports news, you may have noticed our intro uh, slightly lampooning the plight of Florida State University star quarterback slash pitcher slash outfielder Jameis Winston, who uh, had a, had a little trouble with the law this week for stealing some crab legs. I can't remember the last time it's been harder to come up with a lead story on this podcast because we're in the playoffs in, in the NBA and NHL. The Yankees have their fair share of storylines, and yet um, Donald Sterling and Jemias Winston are leading the headlines for terrible reasons for both of them. And they yeah. potentially are the two biggest stories between everything that's going on. Well, the Jameis Winston thing will become more of a story, I would imagine, next year in terms of its future relevance. Because when he's eligible for the NFL draft, you've got to know he's going. He's probably not going to spend one more minute than he needs to at Florida State if he can cash in, you know. He might be the number one draft pick this year if he was. But yeah, that's that's what I said in today's reply. Yeah. All um, I just said, you know, he would have been the first pick this year. It goes without saying that if next year it, he plays the same way, he'll be the first pick. Right. It'll be a weaker draft. But Can't then be stronger than this. But year. then a year from now, we'll be hearing Mel Kiper and Todd McShay and every other pundit in the world talking Todd, about. Todd, 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 Well, he stole crab legs from Publix, and well, you know the the allegations that he had against him with the the sexual assault case and. Every other little to major thing he's done in his life is going to be under a microscope, whether or not he's a disciplinary case or not. So, I mean, it's, I don't think it's it'll matter. And this is what I said today in, in reply all. I basically said, is it is it stupid? Yes. And it's very important right now because he just got suspended from the baseball team. It's a big mm-hmm. story. But in the long run, he'll have an answer prepared for the NFL teams. They're going to say, hey, man, are you mature? He's going to say, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I blame it on the youth. The smartest thing for uh, Jameis Winston right now, and I realize I've now pronounced his name in two different ways. It's Jameis. I'm sticking with that. Um, I think his youth is the most important thing for his case. Say, I'm just a kid. You know, I just walked out of the restaurant without thinking, and it happened. And and soon, if he's a good enough quarterback, teams are just going to totally forget about it. Well, the one the one thing about that is is next year at this time, he's probably going to have plenty of money to go to Publix and buy some crab legs because he's probably going to be a multimillionaire. The other thing about it is it's, it's rather ironic, funny, sad, insert your own adjective here, that this is what happens weeks after, you know, Shabazz Napier goes on the record and, and talks about how the NCAA has kept him hungry. You know, because they can't have jobs during the season and all this. And, and what happens, the most prominent face in college football now that Johnny Manziel and Jadavian Clowney are about to be pros is arrested for stealing food from a grocery store. Yeah. It, it's it's irony. It's I like guess. him and Shabazz work together. Right. <laughs> and it's, it is it is funny, Lou, because we had that uh, podcast, the Yes Men podcast, which, by the way, if you're going through our podcast, it's still very relevant and I'm sure still interesting. We went through and described what rule per sport we would change. And I said uh, I would pay college football players. I would pay college athletes. I think they deserve to be paid. They make so much money for their teams. And the food thing is so interesting because you you start thinking, well, doesn't he have the money to – um, no. no, he doesn't. Not he's not making right. any money according right. to the rules. If he's if he's if he's actually doing what he's supposed to be doing, he's just going to school, and and that's about it. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, I hate to be the I did this once 20 years ago so I know everything perspective, but I'm going to. Uh, my my <laughs> nice roommate, apology. Yeah, thank you. My roommate, my freshman year of college, was a non-scholarship uh, tight end on the football team at Temple. Um, he played one play in the course of four years, eventually made it on the scholarship, you know, after one year as a walk-on. But he played one play in four years. So we're not talking about a guy who had any illusions of ever playing in the NFL, let alone college, really. And, and I saw the work he put into being a walk-on tight end on a really, really bad major conference football team because Temple was the doormat of the Big East at the time. And the highlight of my college career watching college football was getting to see Michael Vick, Donovan McNabb, Santana Moss, and, and other Big East stars come in and torch us. So imagine that you know tenfold for a guy like Winston who plays for the preeminent you know university and college football right now because they are the defending national champions he's the Heisman trophy winner he's the most visible face in the world i understand that he's putting in so many hours and you know they miss meal plans and things like that so i get your point there of paying college athletes would be good i think a lot of us do take for granted what you just said that oh he could just he could have just rolled to mcdonald's and got a couple double cheeseburgers and all oh, that, that, that that's a, a different argument though right. i think if you're if you're going to critique what he's eating that's one thing and i think you know, anyone – and most people can afford McDonald's. That's why it's such a popular right. chain and idea. The idea of fast food is such a genius idea. But I, I do think that it, it's as if Shabazz Napier and and Jameis Winston work together for this idea. And, and Northwestern also has happened in between. Yep. The union, unionization uh, of college athletes. It's as if something is happening. Something is in the works that we don't know about. It's as if the most polarizing athlete in college football walked out of that store thinking, "This is all part of the." This is going to be what gets us money, right? Thirty-two dollars. Thirty-two dollars worth of if, seafood. By the way, if that was his goal, mission unaccomplished because people are just calling him dumb. They're not being like, right. "Wow, like he was just—he's just a starving kid." Because he's thirty-two dollars worth of crab legs. You're eating crab legs. You got to be doing decently well. They serve those in the Legend Suites at Yankee Stadium, right? And they cost a lot more than thirty-two dollars in the Legend Suite at Yankee Stadium. Well, they don't cost anything when you get when them. you buy the ticket. But the right. ticket is when yeah. you're paying for the crab legs. It's like that old man show skit where they go to the ball game and like the hot dog may cost you six fifty, but the relish is free. And the next picture you see is Jimmy Kimmel eating a hot dog that's got about four pounds of relish on it to get his <laughs> six fifty worth. Um, you know, if $32 worth of seafood from a grocery store is what turns the tide in that case, awesome. Good for them. It's a landmark stupid moment, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it. Part of me wonders, like, how you just do that. I mean, if you really forgot to walk out of the, you know, uh, you just had the crab legs in your hand and you forgot and walked out of the grocery store. I don't think. Uh... Part of me wonders how that happens. Part of me wonders if it was like an animal house where the pledge, you know, has the cardigan sweater and 60 pounds of meat in his chest. Who knows? Only he does. But if that turns out to be something that, you know, turns the tide in this whole pay the players landscape, then, hey, you know what? We'll look back 20 years from now and and we'll laugh about it. I'm sure he will, too. And obviously, also, we have the Donald Sterling issue, which has been such a huge topic. I mean, not only in sports, worldwide, nationwide, just it's 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 been on nightly news it's it has oprah trying to buy the la clippers um it's really an interesting topic i've heard so many different opinions on it by this time 
that it almost feels like there's nothing I could say that could possibly put something new out there. Right. You know, all I can say is I think uh, Adam Silver did a great job. I think he did what he had to do. And it was obvious that when Roger Mason Jr., uh, the first vice president of the Players Association in the NBA, came out and said, yeah, these guys were going to quit. They were going to just stop playing, boycott the games. It was clear that he made – Adam Silver, that was very important what he did. Chris Paul is the president of the NBA, so, I mean, he could have done pretty much anything in that scenario. I'm going to bring a little bit of levity into the situation by saying it would probably be awesome if Oprah owned the Clippers because then when you go to the games, like, everybody gets a car, like the Oprah show, like, everybody have fun. So I'm going to get that out of the way first, and then I'm going to say this. Adam Silver did what he had to do, and hopefully – this is never an issue again because he basically went out and said, look, we have zero tolerance for this. We threw the gate at this guy. If anyone else does anything stupid like this, you're getting the same. Well, I – And that's great. Like I applaud that just like every, I, everybody else has. And I agree with you, Lou, and I hope nothing like it ever happens again. Unfortunately, I just personally believe that so many owners of sports teams – tend to be scumbags it's just the way they are i mean i have seen an owner i will you know he'll remain nameless i've been to the stadium he has a glassed in smoking uh box at at the stadium that he owns of the team that he owns and he just smokes in there with 20 year old women and it's just it's not a good look a lot of these guys were very rich and i didn't bored. know james dolan smoked <laughs> no not him uh a lot of these guys are very rich and bored mm-hmm they buy a team. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be great guys because no. you can buy a sports franchise. Yeah. And I think that, you know, Donald Sterling, there are some stories out there where he's kind and there are more stories out there where he's a nasty bigot. Yep. But I do think that people shouldn't be surprised when guys that are owning teams that are multimillionaires, if not billionaires, come out and they're not great people. Right. I mean, not everybody's Mark Cuban where you say what you want about the guy, but he's passionate. He loves his team. He loves the city. He loves everything about what his role is as the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. And you wish everyone was like that. On the other side, obviously, you hope that the majority aren't like Donald Sterling. What really troubles me is is some of the things I've been reading, and I forget where I read this one uh, excerpt, but it was that somebody wrote that he had said publicly to other employers or whatever how it was sort of almost like a he envisioned a plantation like system where he's the rich white man exploiting poor black kids for money. Well, that's what like that mindset I, in 2014. That mindset has no business. I think anywhere. you're talking about the Bill Simmons article in that's which what it, was. it, it was says, you know, it, it says he used to call them like, look at their beautiful bodies yeah. as if he was admiring their horses on a track, right. you know, and and that's really just it's so sickening to hear. And I understand a lot of people are all over David Stern because he kind of let it slide under the rug for his entire tenure as commissioner. He was waiting for a smoking gun, which makes sense. But you you would want you want to push your commissioner to root for good people. Right. Now I don't think David Stern would have had any grounds to get yeah. you know Donald Sterling out of there. But right. at the very least, expose him. You know, using that smoking gun analogy, Stern was probably not of the shoot first, ask questions later mentality. But when Donald Sterling handed the NBA that smoking gun, Adam Silver had no problem. You're gone. Right. And I think the players are very happy, and I hope this, you know, every day that goes by, we're a little further away from it. The only danger is that Donald Sterling most likely is going to file some sort of suit in which he, you know, basically is saying, the LA Clippers aren't for sale. You can't take my team. 
and that'll make it last longer because what are the Clippers going to do? What are What is Blake Griffin going to do? What are Chris Paul and Doc Rivers going to do? Are they going to want to keep playing while the suit's still going on? And technically, the owner of you know the Clippers is still Donald Sterling. I, I don't know. It, it's going to be a mess. Well, I mean, it depends on what they can do. Could could the NBA lobby to make them all free agents and and make yes. Doc Rivers you Maybe. know a free I mean, agent coach? Could Doc just say screw this? I'm out. Could yes. Chris Paul just say, screw this, I'm out, and, and leave that $100 million on the table and forfeit, uh, violate his contract, you know, breach it, and just walk away because he doesn't want to play for a bit? I mean, there's a lot of things that – I don't want to say nobody investigates, but there's a lot of potential fallout from this, which is why Adam Silver and the NBA had to act swiftly and decisively and with a heavy hand, and they did all that. And it's just, I'm sorry, but I, I, I've heard people say, you know, I heard Stephen A. Smith, I believe it was, say this, that the NBA in black culture, no, it was Michael Wilbon who said this, um, he said the NBA in black culture is second only to religion in terms of a thing that they all collectively share. And for Donald Sterling to make these comments, and not only make the comments, to have those views in all leagues, the NBA in particular, you can't do that. The NBA is what eighty percent African American players. That's I don't know the exact number, but that that high of a number sounds yeah. about right. Yes, it is just. I mean, it's just. Why are you in that business? Because it, it's a cash cow, and because he's a bigot, so he's doing exactly what he wanted to do. He's exploiting poor black kids for money. And he he defines bigot in the way that it's like he doesn't yeah. even understand his own views and how screwed up they are. So. Yeah, I mean, he is an 80-year-old man, so, you know, you can only use that as so much of a defense. There's a lot of people of that generation that, you know, have have views like that on various on various minorities. I remember listening to Boomer and Carton a couple weeks ago where Boomer was talking about how his uh his grandfather, I think, or or someone was on the boat in Pearl Harbor that was, you know, bombed by the Japanese in 1941 and even to the, you know, the end of his life, he owned an orange grove in California and refused to sell oranges to Japanese businesses because he just harbored those resentful feelings. There are people in that generation for various reasons that have feelings like that about many things. It's unfortunate, and in 2014, that really has no place in our society. But like I said, hopefully with the NBA going forward, at least this is no longer an issue and the Donald Sterling case is, is, is shut. Yeah, and it, it was such a surreal uh, weekend and beginning of this week because the playoffs are going on. You're not sure if players are going to go out on the court. You're not sure if the playoffs are even a story. And uh, we're back to it, kind of. You know, the Clippers have played yeah. their first home game. But and- that tells you how hurtful it is that they were willing, in the midst of a seven-game series against a tough team where it's 2-2, to just say, forget this, yep. I'm not going out there. Yep, it was more important than basketball right. in that sense. and. Yep. You know, uh, right now we got the Nets who are, you know, looks like they're on the brink. I mean, they're they're going to be at home in Brooklyn in game six. Um, luckily for them, they can maybe tie it up at home. Last night was a really interesting game. They got absolutely demolished in the first three quarters, fourth quarter. If I'm Mikhail Prokhorov or anyone on down in the organization, I am thoroughly embarrassed for what I watched last night in Toronto. That's the only word I can think of to describe properly the magnitude of, of how bad that was. And now there's, they only, there's now they only lost by how much? 
I think the, I think it was three was the was the final. Right. So you're you're calling three quarters. I'm calling this. three and a half quarters of it. Yes, until the fourth quarter comeback. Here's the three things that I I, I will say make this such a bad thing. Number one, you spent all this money. This is the most expensive team in NBA history. And what Jason Kidd is telling me is that, you know, this was the team he rolled with. And what Kevin Garnett is saying in his post-game press conference is, you know, this is the best team that needed to be out there and was rolling along. If Allen Anderson and Sean Livingston, no offense to them, are part of the best team the Nets can put out there for that kind of situation after Brooklyn spent all this money to go out and get Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett who were glued to the bench in the fourth quarter, if the Nets lose Friday, both Pierce and Garnett should retire Saturday morning. Because if that's the case, that two of the best players in NBA history are a worse option than two role players in the most important game of the season in the final minutes, their careers are over. Period, bar none, they are done. That's it. No excuses. The second thing that makes it so bad is that they did make that furious comeback after being down 20-plus points at one point in that game. Where was that for the first three and a half quarters? Uh And the third thing that makes that the most embarrassing is what I said, whether I forget if it was last week or the week before, if this team loses in the first round to the Toronto Raptors, does this make this the most embarrassing, worst, insert adjective here, season in Brooklyn Nets history? And that game right there showed you that this is not a championship team. To, be, to just be able to go out and, and just lay down like that, this is not a championship team. Well, uh, all right. I, I understand your points, and I think all of them are good. I do think that they would not want to lose to Toronto, and I think it will be an embarrassment of some kind if they do. But let's remember, Lou, we were saying at the beginning of the series that the Raptors were the, uh, the higher-seeded team. Higher-seeded team. That is true. They're the team that had the better record in the regular season. Yep. They're the better team. We all thought that for some reason Brooklyn would come into the playoffs, get hot, play good defense, had a chance to beat Miami. We mm-hmm. all look past Toronto. Well, shame on us because at this moment, Toronto's playing exactly like probably Toronto thought they would. Except for everybody else, like us, we all thought they would somehow just not show up to the playoffs. Toronto's not a basketball town. They've never been good for the last decade. And the Brooklyn Nets would just somehow beat them because that's what the Brooklyn Nets should do against a Toronto Raptors team. They haven't been good since the Vince Carter era, which was 15 years ago. And now they are, and it's like we can't even accept it. Well, we should. And and I'll tell you what, at that point, you look at the Nets' regular season. As embarrassing. Not the losing to the Toronto Raptors. That's not embarrassing because the Toronto Raptors are a better team than the Nets. Right. And you know what? We we talked about it when we had that same conversation that the Raptors and Nets had a pretty similar record after January 1st. It was the Nets' terrible start that really did them in in terms of division championship. But here we are on the precipice of the second straight year with a completely different personnel. The Brooklyn Nets win games in the mid-40s and bow out in the first round to a team that's probably going to get slaughtered in the second round by Miami. Yeah. Same exact season. And again, I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination either that I think they're going to roll over and die and lose game six by 40 points and embarrass themselves. It's very possible they win and they win game seven. They're not that kind of team. And I don't think anyone's going to think you're making that point. I I agree with you to a certain extent about Pierce and Garnett. I, I think they should retire, and if they're not in the game at those in those important minutes, then they're probably, you know, rendered useless in the fourth quarter. Right. 
the one thing is that, you know, there is something to be said about where you want to match up with a team. Do you want to be able to shoot from all sides of the, of the three-point line? Do you want to be able to match up down low? Jason Kidd kind of gave up on the down low you know, right. argument. He needed to score. So why would you have Kevin Garnett in the game? Because he can't score. Uh, Paul Pierce doesn't really, you know, he's not as mobile. He's a four now. He's an undersized four. Right. You take him out of the game. Um, so I understand the moves. I'm just kind of dissecting your argument, kind of a you know. And Joe Johnson was in there with five fouls for the majority of the of the right. But you last want a guy minutes. who can give you three points at a time, and, and so that kind of takes away the reason to have Pierce and Garnett on the floor. It it do, it doesn't discredit your argument in terms of wow, how how valuable are they? Right. And you know, it's it's almost ironic too that they fight and fight and scratch and claw, and then it's one small mistake by a guy who. Has had a fairly solid. I mean, Andre Blatch has had a very solid season for the Nets. One small mistake, not getting the ball to Darren Williams fast enough. Kyle Lowry gets a hand on it. It becomes maybe. Oh, it becomes a backcourt violation, according to the refs. They look at it, and that's that was it. Andre Blatch threw the ball like eighty yards. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, that what was got like, into him? He turned into like Superman for a second. He just like jacked the ball. Darren it, Williams was wide. It open. was visions of a of a long snapper getting the yips and snapping a ball over the punter's head in the end zone. That's what it was to me. It was so quick, though. How could he have possibly gotten screwed up in the head and gotten nervous enough to throw it 50 yards? Who knows? I, I mean, know. if Kyle Lowry just went like that, and you guys can't see what I just did, Doug, but if he just went like that, <laughs> like, you know, he got a momentary case of the yips and it happened. He almost slapped me. That's what, just, you, that's <laughs> what you just missed. I threw my hand out at his face. Um, but he got a momentary case of the yips, and that was all, all it took. And, you know, it just it happens, and it's those moments that, you know, make or break a season as, as – Sad as it is, if the Nets lose a hard-fought game six or seven, you're going to look back and say, if only he had hit that pass to Darren Williams, could Darren have hit a three? Things change. It, it's that one moment. It's amazing how 82 and six or seven playoff games come down to that one moment where you, quote-unquote, threw it all away. You know what the thing is, Lou, and I, I, it just describes their whole season. If the Nets lose tomorrow night and lose in game six, I don't think they will. I think if they lose no. to the Toronto Raptors, they'll lose in game seven. But if they do, instead of looking back at this series, the smart thing to do would be to look back and wonder. At November. With a team, yeah, exactly. And at, with a team that needed to win now. Like the Nets have one, maybe two years of a window. Yep. You hired a young coach. Who had never done it before. Mm -hmm. With a team that has a roster that's ready to win and has a short window, you want to hire a coach that's going to come in and just let the guys do their thing, knows what's going on, knows the system. This is where a Phil Jackson or a Chuck Daly would have have come in handy. Jason Kidd came in. Team gets off to a slow start because they can't believe they're taking orders from a guy they were playing against two months before. Yeah. So the guy they almost got to face in the playoffs. And I'm not before. taking anything away from what Jason Kidd has done this season. I think mm-hmm. he's done a really terrific job, yeah. at least kind of, you know, second half of the season. They are the best team in the NBA since January 1. Mm-hmm. But in general, it really looks kind of strange that they were the sixth seed because obviously they were skewed from the beginning of the year. And you know what? So, someone has said it, I'm sure, but it was a be careful what you wish for scenario. The Nets probably knew that facing the Raptors, if the Heat were the two seed, they were a better matchup than Indiana. And then Eastern Conference Finals, you're going to have to beat somebody good. That was their best path. And here they are now, 48 minutes away from squandering it, especially knowing that they will have confidence, as much as those games may mean nothing, that they can beat the Heat because they did it four times. 
And we're 48 minutes away from Hawks-Wizards being the other semifinal. And by the way, so there's one team in the NBA right now that is just a shining light, and it's the Miami Heat. It's the Miami Heat. Everybody else is struggling. It's the Miami Heat. Granted, Charlotte was probably the easiest, and I use that term slightly loosely, but that was probably the easiest pick in the playoffs. Like, yeah, they're going to obliterate Charlotte. And I okay. think the Hawks are the worst team in the playoffs. I think the Hawks are, are are not as good of a team as Charlotte. I think that Indiana is terrible right now. And I think the Hawks are a bad matchup for them. Right. Yeah, it happens. Th- that's why I'm saying Miami-Charlotte was the one series out of eight where you could look at that and go, yeah, they're going to kill them. Should be a sweep, maybe five if they're lucky. Indiana and Atlanta are going to be throwing the ball to each other, trying to get the other person to score. Neither of these teams wants to win that badly. And one of them will get to play the Wizards for four to seven games starting next week. And the Wizards will beat either one, probably. I would love to see another Wizards-Net series in the Eastern Conference Finals. I I don't think that'll happen, unfortunately, but I would love to see that. It would be phenomenal because all of their games have been good. Yeah, this year we'll see. So, uh, one thing I do want to touch on too, when it, as regard to the Nets, is there's a bit of a hubbub going on because of things that happened on the Nets Twitter account last night, um, with you know one of their one of their writers taking over and kind of almost chastising the Nets fans, saying that Toronto had a better playoff atmosphere. Brooklyn stand up on Friday night. Is all I'm going to say. That's what David Diamante says all the time in the fourth quarter. Brooklyn, stand up. Get the crowd fired up. They need you, Brooklyn crowd. They need you on Friday night. You need to be loud. Yeah. I don't know. I I, I feel sorry for uh, the Brooklyn Nets because it's – and I feel – actually, I feel sorry for Brooklyn Nets fans because I think a lot of the true Brooklyn Nets fans are probably sitting in the arena being like, why doesn't this feel like everybody's engaged? But they're new. I mean, they're new. A lot of people – you know, I've heard this before. I don't know if anybody in Brooklyn was sitting around waiting for a basketball team. A lot of them were Knicks fans or a lot of them weren't basketball fans or a lot of them rooted for a totally random team. It's hard to just transplant a team into a city and just see how it works out. Even one that was as close as Newark and and East Rutherford. Yes, I agree. And and I'm going to make a point that might be a little off base, but we'll see when I get to it. (laughs) <laughs> the first year of the new Yankee Stadium – the new Yankee Stadium is a very majestic building. The first year it opened, a few friends of mine, you know, I asked them I hadn't been yet. I'm like, how is it? And they're like, you know, it's nice, but it's kind of – and the word they used was antiseptic. It was just kind of like majestic and it didn't really feel like you were there to watch a baseball game. It felt like you were at this palace and baseball was going on is what one of them said. Five years later, obviously, it's a lot different, and there's a lot more history ingrained in that because the old Yankee Stadium was a bit of a dump. Helps when you win a World Series in the first year of the new stadium. The old Yankee Stadium was run down a lot, but it had charm. It was our, you know, this is our mess is kind of the the way it is. The Barclays Center might be falling into that same thing where I, I saw one of the Nets beat writers tweeted today that, you know, something to the effect of I... Every time I walk into the Barclays Center, I feel like I'm in a commercial, like it's all sponsored, like it's a very, you know, with the 4040 club and the barbershop and this and that and all the other hoopla that basketball is not the central element bringing you there. Mm-hmm. Now, again, like you said, winning the World Series in 2009, I'm sure helped a lot of Yankees fans forget that they were in a brand new stadium and they christened it with a title. Maybe, maybe Barclays Center is in that same funk. Maybe it's like you said, the transplant of the team. It's two years in. Tampa Bay still doesn't have a fan base for their baseball team 15, 20 years later, and they've been to the World Series. 
So who knows which way it goes, but game six will be a great opportunity for those Brooklyn fans to show that we are here and we care if that's the case. And, you know, I always say it feels like a nightclub because it, yeah. it, it feels so dark. If, if you sit in the upper deck at Barclays Center or even if you look up at the upper deck, you can't see any faces. It's like yeah. how do people see their food when they eat it? Like it's that we, dark. We've we've sat up there a couple times yeah. when there's an overflow media and it's yeah. it's it's tough. Yeah. It's dark and it's like the basketball court is gleaming, but everything else, like it, it feels like a nightclub. It does. It has a very underground urban nightclub feel. So uh, but you know what? Then make that nightclub rock on Friday night. Speaking of Yankee Stadium, uh they just greeted Robinson Cano as his first uh, game back as a Mariner, and they did. Um, and Derek Jeter played with his beard. It's and one we of our were, most popular videos. We were bo- we were both uh, there for the game the other night. It was it was hard because it was a pouring rain, cold night, and it was not there were not a lot of people it, there. It, and I it think, was an awful night. I think there probably would have been uh, a lot of people there, maybe a full house. Um, but baseball is a hard sell when it's 40 degrees. On a cold, rainy Tuesday night in April, yeah, baseball is a hard sell. I mean, Fenway Park is quote-unquote sold out. But, I mean, if you well, look at Fenway the, Park on, on those nasty nights, it's The like that paid too. attendance that night was almost 35000 And if there was half of that there at any point, that might be generous. Right. And the so, Bleacher I Creatures mean, famously, know, but, I guess now, infamously uh, – yeah, Chanted, Bald Vinny was on Michael K out. talking about it yesterday, and you know what? Michael went off on it, and I, I tend to agree with him. I, look, I get it. Robinson Cano gets it. Mark Teixeira got it when he, you know, the the beat asked him about the whole thing in the locker room, and he said, <laughs> you know what? I, it's he worked his ass off when he was here. He's a great player, but it's baseball. He knows he's going to get booed. It's what you do, and and I do somewhat agree with what Vinny said on Michael's show yesterday in that. Fans are passionate and fans are, you know, diehard. And a lot of them lost their favorite player in Robinson Cano. I I have several friends whose favorite Yankees player was Robinson Cano until January. All that said, if you chanted you sold out at Robinson Cano, I'm calling you a hypocrite for two reasons. Number one, everybody who chanted that at him would have done the same exact thing. Whether it was $65 million or, you know, 10000 for the average working man, you'd do the same thing. I would do the same thing. Don't, don't play it off and say you wouldn't. It, it's human nature. I, I, I agree with you saying you're a hypocrite if you chant you sold out and you're a Yankee fan because the Yankees have finally lost a free agent to free agency right. and finally lost a guy who they weren't willing to spend the money on. Right. And that's a different feeling. The Yankees fans aren't used to that. So right. – don't chant you sold out. Accept it. I think it kind of felt nice to be a Yankee fan at times to kind of say, yeah, we're going to save this money. Let's be smart about it. I think it was smart for the Yankees to, to not pay that money. I will say, though, I wouldn't have done what Robinson Cano did. Me personally. I, I And I think a lot of people are like that, too. A lot of people say he took the money. I get that. The Yankees offered more money per year. I know that right. the contract that he signed in, in Seattle had more money total. And security because it was three three years long, right. the contract. I think a lot of Yankees fans look at it as he had a lot of money either way. Mm-hmm. Why did he not choose this city? Why did he not choose the homegrown team that brought him up i mean we've right. been talking about this today we're thinking about interviewing some players about this topic it's the point of critical mass with money I right yep and about about you know kind of being on the same team staying loyal to a city you don't see that anymore i think yankee fans were hoping we would have that in this guy especially yep. because Derek jeter's retiring yep. 
who's gonna who's gonna fill his shoes as the as the next lifelong Yankee? Brett Gardner is the face of the franchise next not, year at this point. It, it's not that's not what they want, right? <laughs> so. To, to your point, that's the second reason why I'm using that word to describe anyone who was chanting that is – you know what? Let's be honest. The Yankees have a reputation of being the evil empire because they spend more money than other teams and have spent more money than other teams to acquire free agents in the past. But I never, I've never heard a single person in Cleveland chant, you sold out at CC Sabathia. Never heard a single person in Boston – Chant, you sold out at Jacoby Ellsbury at a game. I'm sure they've said it. But when he went back to Fenway last week, he got a video tribute and a standing ovation because they appreciated what he did there. I don't think anyone in Atlanta, Texas, or Anaheim would chant, you sold out at Mark Teixeira the first time he took an at-bat there after signing with the Yankees. It's rude, quite frankly. And I get the whole fans are passionate, whatever, and... You're, you're talking to a guy who loves Seinfeld, and I've seen Jerry Seinfeld's hilarious bit about how basically you're rooting for laundry at this point when you root for a team because players change so often or whatever. There's a way to go about things. You can dislike Cano. You can boo him vociferously, which they did. But to go ahead and do that and tack that on when you already have the reputation of being a fan of the pompous throw-money-around team, according to people around the league, it just makes you look bad and it makes it a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's kind of sad because I've been a Yankee fan my whole life. And as a fan, I was very disappointed Robinson Cano left. I thought he was going to be the next homegrown lifelong Yankee, just like you said. It's a business. It didn't work out that way. You have to respect his decision. I can boo the hell out of him the next time I go to a Yankees-Mariners game and I'm in the stands. That's my right. And it's your right to chant that at him too, but it makes you look bad. Yeah, I would agree with everything you just said, and I think, um, you know, as you start to to work in sports, you lose your fanship just a little bit. Yep. You turn more into an objective uh, member of the media because every little thing changes the way you watch and take in a game. And I think it's easy for writers, for members of the media, television people, to look at that and look at those fans and say, "What hypocrites!" They it's as if they have no awareness of 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 who they root for and and kind of what they're saying and what they're doing. But, you know, if life had gone differently for us and if life had gone differently for a lot of people in the media and they're three beers deep in the bleachers, you don't think they'd be joining into that cheer? I think a lot of people who root for the Yankees every day would do that. And it's as if, I know, I know we're the Yankees, you know, like I understand that we normally buy free agents and that's how we operate. But he sold out. He took more money. You know, you know I, I don't agree with it. I agree no. with you, but at the end of the day, I'm just, you know, kind of playing devil's advocate, three beers deep, in the bleachers, angry at Cano, whatever. If you're three beers deep in the bleachers five minutes into the game, that's a good night for you, regardless well, of the Well, you know, you so. get off work at five, you go to the dugout for a, a few beers. Train, yeah, maybe hit not? up your van on River Ave. Why not? Yeah, dude, yeah, if you want. Um, yeah, you know what? It's It's a situation. And it's over now, at least, so whatever. We'll see what happens tonight when, you know, he comes up to bat. I'm sure he'll be booed vociferously again by the group of people. Well, I'll there. be waiting 
you know, on pins and needles for that. Can we talk about something happier now before we before we wrap up this edition? Can we talk about the fact that the Rangers beat the Flyers last night and have made it to the second round again? I was in attendance. I decided to go yesterday with my uncle at 5 p.m. and I just bought tickets on StubHub for too much money and uh, you know decided it was to go worth to the game. it though. I'm sure it was right? worth every penny. Every the, penny. The fact that Daniel Carcillo, the ex-Flyer agitator goon, for lack of a better word, and then Benoit Pouliot, who you have on a few occasions this year been like, this guy is just, oh, as a fan. They're the two guys that scored the two goals in the in Game 7. Pouliot, That's amazing. Pouliot, for the last 30 games or so, has been one of their best players. He's a yep. he's a big guy. He likes to hit. He can play in front of the net. Hugely vital player to them. He has come into his own, as they right. say. And he's an NHL journey journey guy. You yep. know, he's a journeyman. And, and he uh, he's played for the Bruins and a bunch of other teams. Montreal. Yep. He's just, uh, you know, this is this is what the Rangers need. If they're not going to get goals out of St. Louis and Nash and Richards, they need the other guys to step up, the role players. And it's just great to be at the Garden for a victory against the Flyers. And it shows you, I mean, Henrik Lundqvist was amazing in the final period and a half of that game. And it shows you what a, a great goaltender can do for you in the playoffs. And the MVP of the night, as we were discussing earlier, might be Matt Zuccarello for beating that icing call in the final seconds to bring the face off to center ice. Pretty much guaranteed the game was over at that point. Huge call. Fans wanted it. Huge we were, call. We were and upset. it was the right call, according to replay. Let me see if you can hear me. In one of these videos, you can hear me yelling. I think it would be funny for our audience. Yeah, that's that's yours truly right there. Were you uh, were you three beers deep at the garden at that point? Or I was you- not, actually. I, I went with my uncle. You know, I had a Coke and, and uh, some hot dogs. That's all. Some hot dogs and a Coke. I like the Burger Boss. Now that they've remodeled the Madison Square Garden concourse, I'm a big fan of the Burger Boss. Never, uh, never paid it a visit. Yeah, it's not bad. I'm a big fan of that. Hopefully, I'll get to go to the Garden uh, once during this series. Uh, gonna be kind of busy over the next couple weeks, so hopefully, I'll be able to make it to a game. Just knowing that'll be the end of my hockey experience for the season. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I think the Rangers showed last night. Like I said, what you know, a really great goalie can do for you, especially Lundqvist, who can stand on his head and win games. Guys up and down the lineup from, you know, the stars to Carcillo and Pouliot are contributing. And Marc-Andre Fleury gets the yips. I've used that phrase a lot today, but he gets the yips. The Rangers can win this series, and there shouldn't be any doubt about that in anyone's mind. It doesn't mean they will, and it doesn't mean they won't get smoked. But on paper right now, you have to think the Rangers have a puncher's chance of winning this series against the Penguins. No argument here. So I mean, not for me. I'm going. I'm still. I'm sticking with my predictions. I'm going Bruins over Rangers in the Eastern Conference Finals. But like I said, you know what? Anything can happen, and they have a puncher's chance right now. The West is a little more wide open. Uh, the most epic collapse, perhaps, in 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 sports this year. I mean, San Jose was up three nothing and lost four straight to the Kings, and now the Kings get the uh, the Ducks. They get a freeway series, a little Anaheim, L.A., and then you got Chicago, the defending champs. Showing up strong, knocking off the uh, St. Louis Blues, playing the Wild. That's going to be uh, those are going to be two fun series out west too. Yep, eight teams left. Um, I've watched an incredible amount of playoff hockey. Um, I've seen almost every game, um, with the exception of a few. But it, it's been really impressive. And now we are down to eight teams. And we had three game sevens yesterday for the first time in NHL history, which is... I got home from one, and then I watched the other two. It was pretty great. I agree with what Michael K said yesterday, too, that there is no better phrase in sports than game seven in the NHL. It's just, it's, it's got it, for lack yep. of a better word. 
So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how the Rangers do. I believe that series starts. Is that start Saturday or Sunday? No, Friday. Friday. Don't yep. start Friday. Okay. Friday night, seven o'clock. I know we have Bruins. Uh, Bruins Habs on tap tonight. Starts the second round. So uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe a little New York Boston rivalry in mid May uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals. We maybe so. Hope, right? Maybe so. Maybe so. You know, it'll be a be a good uh, good time for everyone. Uh, with that, that is going Just to get uh, out there and uh, play our game and uh, get the puck in the net, <laughs> and uh, at some point maybe uh, get a lead and uh, work a little hard. And, and uh, if they do put the puck in the net, what does happen there, Doc Emmerich? Uh, <laughs> not on the spot. It's, it's late in the afternoon. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. With that, that's going to do it for this edition. Scar! <laughs> yes, man. Uh, next week is the NFL draft, so we'll have a little bit of that on tap along with your Yankees, Nets. We'll either look forward to the Nets heat or eulogize the Nets season, one or the other. Uh, a little bit of an NFL draft talk. We'll see where the Yankees are, and we'll see what else happens to be happening in the world of sports. Maybe the Kentucky Derby winner will have an awesome name. Who knows? Uh, you'll just have to tune in next week to find out. Until then, I'm Lou, he's Doug, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.